Okay, so, uh, hello everyone, so um, uh, I'm back again uh, for another podcast, I think this is going to be episode 7, once once I have the uh, my, my last interview up, which was with uh, Vladimir Berliak, who is a scholar, um, so it should be up by the time this episode is up, um, and uh, we discussed uh, all sorts of topics, but uh, in particular we were looking at Tolkien and metafiction, uh, which, you know, I just think is such a fascinating sort of subtopic of Tolkien studies in general, and he has a lot of interesting things to say about it, so give that a listen um, once that's up. Uh, but today we're doing a sort of a reboot of sorts. Um, I have a new uh, co-host with me, and, and we're going to see, you know, how, how this goes, and um, today we're going to talk about just the Lord of the Rings uh, itself, the book, and um, you know, just have a very general sort of discussion about that, and uh, and then you know, in future future episodes, we might go into greater depth uh, on on more particular topics. So my co-host is uh, Shrida. So hello, Shrida. How are you? Hi, I'm I'm well. How about you? Yeah, yeah, really well. And um, uh, I believe it's what it must be like uh, quite late. There in America, and of course I am in Australia, so uh, we're trying this in 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 our two very different time zones. Uh, <laughs> here it's here it's lunch lunch time, so I just had a sandwich, nice. <laughs> and I've got a coffee. So um, you know, just just getting into the day, still still kind of waking up, um, terrible sleeper. <laughs> so how, how's it how's it okay. going there? Is it snowy and cold and? Yeah, it's you know it's quite snowy, and I think it's been in the neg in the sub-zero temperatures for for a little for a little wow. over a week now. So it hasn't been great, but you know it's it's just after dinner, and uh, and I have a glass of wine, so you know it, yeah, it could be I worse. Think, um, we're gonna have to find time to do this where like we both have a glass of wine at the same time because um, obviously, <laughs> well, I guess you know I guess I guess being uh, twenty minutes to to two uh, two p.m. It's, I, feel, I would feel bad if I had a glass of wine right now, but um, maybe maybe I'll make an exception when I do the podcast. Yeah, um, yeah. But yeah. <laughs> in any case, I wish I wish uh, I wish it was. It's of course summer here, and you know, wishing it was wishing it was colder. To be honest. Oh really? I don't do well. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I don't do well in the summer, so um, yeah, I'm slightly <laughs> envious, even though. From what I can see on, you know, on the Twitter reports and that, it looks like there's a lot of snow and, you know, stuff around. So I don't yeah. know, maybe that's more difficult than I, than I think, uh, not having experience living in such environments <laughs> before. Um, yeah, it, it's it's always fun until it isn't, you know. <laughs> no, <laughs> that's how sure. that's how it goes. <laughs> so you know, in the spirit of this being, um, and I should say uh, before I before I get on to talking about. Um, talking about the podcast in any more detail, I should say that Razib hasn't sort of gone anywhere. Um, so obviously the first couple of episodes I, I did with my co-host Razib, and he's still a co-host, just he won't be uh, quite as regular a co-host, um, just because he's uh, super busy and um, that's fine. And, you know, we're just sort of working out how to juggle these things and in the first few episodes. So, you know, he'll be back occasionally for... Um, you know, various episodes that we might do on, on certain topics. And I still want to do the Akala Beth episode with him at some stage. So, you know, once, once he, once he's, um, once he's ready uh, to do that, we'll, we'll still keep that going because, you know, he's a good interlocutor as well. And, um, so he hasn't sort of gone anywhere. Um, he 
he's just got a lot on his plate, including um, a couple of other podcasts that he does. So um, he is doing all sorts of things. But he's definitely still in the picture. So just to make that clear, <laughs> I haven't yeah. sort of uh, yeeted, yeeted him anywhere. Um, but just in the spirit of, I guess, uh, you know, this, this being a reboot of sorts, um, after like six episodes, so <laughs> um, I'm just, I thought, you know, I'd do something I, I didn't do in the very first episode, which was talk a bit about um, me and then, you know, um, then we'll go from there and, and Shredo will sort of talk about himself, I guess, a little <laughs> bit and, just, you know, it, it, by way of sort of introducing us, hopefully that might, you know, make these discussions a little less uh, disembodied. Um, because usually with interviews, I just, I just go right into it. I don't, I don't really talk, you know, talk about, uh, myself or anything. Um, so I'm, uh, obviously in Australia and, uh, you know, hence, hence all the time zone difficulties that I have with people, but that's okay. Um, <laughs> and, um, I have recently finished a PhD in, uh, well, archaeology. So, uh, you know, I'm just sitting around, um, waiting for the semester to start when I, you know, I will begin teaching again, at least our semester here. Um, I think it's different in America. And, uh, you know, uh, that's that's when I sort of started this podcast. And so, um, yeah, that, that's what I've that's what I've kind of uh, been doing the last few years. And um, so if anyone if anyone has any interesting, um, you know, topics that they'd like me to talk about regarding uh, history or archaeology, I can I can uh, do that. I guess on, on this podcast because why not um, but um, you know there's not much else of interest about me I don't know I just uh, you know I'm, I'm very much a kind of academic and um, that tends to be a lot of my my focus uh, you know I read a lot obviously <laughs> what about you uh, Shrida what, what do you get up to <laughs> well the the main thing that I do is is that I'm a I'm a classical flutist um, so <laughs> Yeah, so yeah, most of my time is just spent um, practicing and, and making music. Um, not so much in public right now, obviously, um, because yep. of the pandemic. But um, <laughs> yeah. yeah, so you know, I, I I play solo stuff. I play chamber music sometimes in the orchestra and um, and teach lessons. <clears throat> and um, and um, around the time that the pandemic started, I I also started a podcast just to sort of fill up the the free time and um it's, it's called impolite to listen and it's a podcast that i do with um with my friend from from music school chris harkin uh and and yeah it's you know it's it's not um it's not too different from this it's just two two dudes just sort of um just yeah yeah with a mic and and chatting about in this case classical music and and seeing where the conversation goes so so that's pretty much it Fantastic. And um, so I hope people check, check that out. Uh, I do not have another podcast at the moment, so this is all I do, but I was thinking of doing one on archaeology, but uh, maybe another time. Um, you should. I mean, podcasts are the new yeah. blog, right? You know, everyone's got to yeah. have at least three or you're not a person. That's how that works. Exactly. <laughs> Although if I'm honest, I, I hate talking about, or, uh, I don't know. It, yeah. I, I hate talking about like what I do like, oh, as a yeah. job. <laughs> Even though, of course, I find it interesting, but I don't listen to any archaeology podcasts. I used to listen to history podcasts, but I don't. I can't stand talking. Of course, I read lots of books, but um, I don't know. I just can't stand listening to people talk about it for some reason. I don't know why. It's just a, it's just a weird 
thing that I have. <laughs> um, but yeah. I, I'm sure you listen, I mean, yeah. Do you listen to other music podcasts and stuff? I'm sure there's a lot of those. I, don't know. I think there are a fair amount, and, and but actually I don't. I mean, one of the principal reasons that we started um, Impolite to Listen was, was because um, yeah. I, I can't, I really cannot stand most other, if not all other music podcasts. So I, I decided to start one, but, but I guess I didn't realize the sort of irony there, which is that I don't know why I would expect anyone else to stand mine. So. <laughs> well, I think I'm operating on the same, you know, subroutine. I sort of thought, um, I sort of thought that, uh, it's not that I don't like the Tolkien podcast, but I feel like they're all the same. They all, um, they all go through the books chapter by chapter. And I sort of found that very, Kind of boring to be honest. Um, after right. like you, after you listen to the, like the tenth podcast that's doing exactly the same thing, it's like okay, you know, what new insight does this person have? Well, you know, not many really to be honest. Um, so you know, I wanted this podcast, as I've said before, to be you know, interview podcast with interesting scholars, but also a discussion podcast with a focus on you know um, themes or or particular I don't know uh, a particular paper that's been written by an interesting scholar or something like that um, and that's really what I what I wanted to do and um, but at the same time you know I don't know if anyone's really going to be interested in that so hopefully hopefully <laughs> some people will be but um, we'll, we will see I guess and I know there's a there's so far there's been a, like a small cadre of listeners who sort of started listening so it's been nice but um, you know hopefully as the show the Amazon show comes out interest will expand I guess to an extent yeah, um, yeah. We'll see where we go with it, but you know, um, yeah, it's it's an experiment, um, but I enjoy it because yeah, I think that uh, you know, of all the talking podcasts out there, there isn't one that's quite um, geared towards uh, sort of what I want to do. So you know, I, I had to make it myself, I guess, which sounds all very you know, <laughs> very kind of. Um, self slightly narcissistic and self-absorbed but you know whatever we'll see how it goes <laughs> no i think that's, that's the way to do it you know if you if you want something to be done right you have to do it yourself and and that includes podcasts so. <laughs> yeah yeah and look i've tried blogging in the past but i just i can't do that i i don't know i can write academic papers but blogs i find tedious so i'd rather just talk to someone and <laughs> discuss what i'm interested in yeah yeah to write. um the, the great know, thing about podcasts is that you always have a co-host to bail you out. So, well, that's right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. When you say um, everyone's on Substack nowadays, so you know, um, maybe I'll get one too if this becomes popular. But <laughs> yeah. But um, do you have one of those? I don't know. Everyone seems to. Have one. <laughs> I, I I do have one, but it's you know I, I feel bad um you know telling people about it because it's so um, irregularly contributed to you know it's it's uh, really okay. I. I I find Substack a, a great place to um, to just blog, but I realize that people actually use it as a newsletter, which I do not. Which sounds crazy, right. I know, but um. <laughs> oh, that's all right. Yeah, no, I'm sure I'm sure your blog posts are, are excellent. Um, <laughs> yeah, but, <laughs> you know, but, yeah, I think I'll, I'll avoid it for now. But you know, yeah, who yeah. knows? <laughs> um, by the way, Receive um, also has a Substack. In fact, that's been taking up so much. Of, time at least you know according to what he's been saying um, but but uh, for those interested i think i think he has one and it's pretty popular i think so um in fact I'll, i should yeah. be appearing there soon i interview with him 
uh, a while back. So not on Tolkien, but on um, the advent of Christianity at the end of the Roman Empire. So I talk a bit about that. Um, Yeah, so hopefully that interview will pop up soon. On his Substack, <laughs> just a bit of, um, yeah, a bit of, uh, you know, extra uh, content for our for our historically inclined uh, listeners, if there are any out there. <laughs> um, so yeah, I occasionally do um, do talk about other things. So yeah, I guess I guess we'll get into you know um, a few things that we want to talk about. Well, first of all, I should ask. Um, what are you? What, what's the the wine that you're drinking? I'm, wine is another interest of mine. I don't really write blog or uh, otherwise talk about it anywhere, but it is it is a sort of a you know a secondary uh, a secondary interest. Um, oh really? Yeah, we, we should we should start a um we should start a, a wine <laughs> podcast. Yeah. 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 <laughs> um, yep. <laughs> Unfortunately, right now I'm drinking nothing nothing very special. It's just the um it's uh, a it's a Cabernet Sauvignon from. From the sort of in-house Trader Joe's um, brand, I'm not sure if you know what Trader Joe's is. Um, is it like a? Is it like a? Um, I don't know. What, you probably don't know any equivalents here, but uh, it's like a, a, a Walmart sort of a thing. Yeah, it's it's kind of like a posh Walmart, maybe. I'm not exactly sure, uh, but um, it's bit yep. bit posher than Walmart, but but it, I think it's kind of the same idea. It's one of those companies that. Um, it really sort of lives off its own brand, and everything that it sells um, at a store is made from made from the same company. So, um, uh, so it's like it, a posh, healthy kind of thing. <laughs> that, do you have oh, I don't think we do. Not that I know. Of. Uh, okay. But you know, it, it makes for it makes for very good um, table wine. So um, mm. you know, it, it's it's very affordable, and uh, you know, it's not offensive yeah. in any way. <laughs> this podcast is brought to you by Trader Joe's, apparently. <laughs> yeah, we're gonna have to get them to like sponsor us. Um, <laughs> yeah, they they have not uh, they they are not here uh, in this country, but we do have um, we do have Aldi, which is of course a German um, uh, like supermarket, I guess. Or I don't know, what do you call supermarkets? You call them? I, I think um, it works. I think supermarket works. Yeah, okay, that's the same thing. Um, and they they have um, very cheap. Uh, sort of table wines, which are also quite good. Um, and I lived I lived near one a couple of years ago, and um, it was just really bad. And I was finishing my thesis as well, so <laughs> it was just really bad for my, um, you know, my my alcohol consumption. <laughs> I'm a little excessive, but anyway. <laughs> um, look, it happens when you yeah when when you're writing a thesis. Um, but in any case, that, that's good. I think I think I'll have to I'll have to get some for next time, nice. um, <laughs> regardless of what time of day it is. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I guess as, as I sort of mentioned. Um, well, first of all, look, is there anything else you wanted to say before we, by way of introductions, um, you know, just um, about about either yourself or you know, um, anything anything sort of general? Otherwise, we can just we can just get into to the topic, I guess, but um, not particularly. I, I guess maybe I'll say I may as well say here that you know I'm not I'm not by any means a, a token expert or anything. So you know if any of the listeners are, you know if anyone's listening, they're probably actually more knowledgeable about it than I am. So you know I hope um, I hope no one will um, you know be yelling at their phones and, and hating on me for for any inaccuracies 
in my <laughs> in my in my speaking. Yeah, and you know that's fine. And um, I think I think what what we want to achieve in this podcast um, is uh, I don't know so, a sort of a level where it's accessible to you know perhaps both um, fairly new readers and also um, and also people who've you know been reading the stories for a while. So uh, yeah, at least that's 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 the hope. So. Um, you know, yeah. we'll see how we go. <laughs> but, um, nice, nice. I know I said, I think I said in my last podcast that, that I think I perhaps put it too strongly that, you know, the podcast wasn't, wasn't for brand new read. Like it wasn't an introductory podcast. And I don't think it is that. Like I'm not necessarily, as I said, we're not going to read through the chapters and, and sort of discuss chapters, but, you know, one by one. Um, so, you know, if that's what you're interested in, I, I think uh, there are other podcasts. You meaning uh, listeners? <laughs> any listeners? Um, I think there are other podcasts that do that. And although I slightly disparage some of those, I mean they are fine if you're a new reader and you—that's what you want. Of course, that—that's great. Um, but you know, if, if once you've read the books, you want to uh, have a different experience, I think this is—you know—this is for you. But it doesn't mean that you have to be. You know, it doesn't mean you have to own all the history of Middle Earth books. I mean, I don't even own all the history of Middle Earth books, so you know, uh, don't worry about that. <laughs> um, so I think we're we're aiming for that sort of middle ground, um, you know. And hopefully, for example, in some of the interviews that I do, hopefully, if you read the books, they'll make some sense to you, even if they're not, you know, uh, immediately, you know, even if it's not immediately. Um, uh, sort of intuitive as to as to you know the the topic that we're talking about, but um, anyway, that that's yeah. the goal. <laughs> nice. So you know we'll we'll see uh, again. We'll see how that goes. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I guess uh, as I mentioned, for this sort of first reboot episode, um, we just wanted to discuss. Uh, the Lord of the Rings, which is, of course, the best-known and most widely read work of Tolkien's fiction. Uh, we haven't really discussed that yet on the podcast in the few episodes, at least not directly. I mean, it's obviously been mentioned in the context of some interviews and things. Um, but, you know, we want to talk about the general question, um, the very broad question of, uh, you know, what sort of book it really is um, and what does it say to us now in the 25th century? Um, does it say anything? Um, and that is really our topic for today. So um, I think this will be going for the general format, as I mentioned, of, of these podcasts. We'll have a topic, we'll have some questions and, and things that we might want to think about. And um, sometimes it'll be a bit more specific than this. But, um, you know, I think to start off with, um, this is a good a good place to go. So um, Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, and, and I am rereading it at the moment, um, which is, um, you know, Kind of pathetic, but <laughs> also something that I do like once or once uh, every year or two years or three years or something like that. Um, so uh, you know, I've been enjoying that, and um, of course, um, but uh, it is very familiar to me, though. So I don't know if someone to whom it is uh, perhaps a bit less familiar. What, uh, I don't know. Where would you start in answering that question? Do you think? <laughs> The, the question of, of um, just what sort of a book is Lord of the Rings? Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. What, does it, what does it say to us? What sort of a book is it? Um, yeah. Um, 
I find that it, it's a it's a difficult question to 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 answer um, <clears throat> competently. I think, but you know, it's <laughs> it's, it's it's tough because because I think that there's so much of of what the Lord of the Rings is and and sort of was intended to be um, that it, its effect on the world has been different than that. So <clears throat> you know, to to sort of shy away from from the the from saying it's like a, a, a sort of fantasy epic, which, you know, uh, I, I kind of, that leaves a bad taste in my mouth to call it that. Um, same, yeah. But, you know, at, at the same time, I wonder I wonder if that's sort of unavoidable to some degree because, I, I'm, you know, I'm not really a, a connoisseur of the, of the fantasy genre, but I imagine mm-hmm. that Lord of the Rings has, has had a, an enormous impact on it. Um, yeah. So, you know, in, in that sense... The, the sort of title of, of fantasy is is unavoidable in it, but but to me the, the the Lord of the Rings and sort of everything in the in the sort of Middle Earth um, sphere it, it it really bears like the the most resemblance to to something like uh, maybe Milton or or even Shakespeare or Dante um, like whatever whatever that line of of sort of Quasi theological, like quasi poetic, um, that that kind of sort of work um, is, is where is where I sort of see the the, the Lord of the Rings falling into. Um, I don't know if that's I don't know if that's totally misplaced. Um, but what about you? What do you think? I think uh, not only is that not misplaced, I think that's really um, yeah what, where I would also place it. Uh, and not only to sort of. <laughs> sort of afford it a kind of dignity that some people wouldn't think it deserves, but I, th- I mean, I think it does deserve that. But also because I think, as you said, um, all these writers, Milton um, and Shakespeare, they all work with, you know, and, and some of the others you mentioned, they all are sort of working with, um, I'd also perhaps mention Blake and the Romantics as well, hmm. at least some of them. Um, they're all working with, uh, you know, some sort of body of material, and then they're, uh, you know, creating either, um, you know, often poetic um, epics, I guess, out of those stories, uh, Paradise Lost, or you know, whatever it might be. Um, I guess in Tolkien's case, the only real difference is that he has created a kind of backcloth um, that does not look directly, or does not site directly sort of uh either you know christian or greek or whatever it might be uh mythical cycles so the lord of the rings uh sort of reads like a kind of an epic in that tradition but instead of harking back or um you know looking back to uh i don't know the the greek epics it looks back to his own sort of uh epic tradition that he himself created (laughs) um and I th- yeah. But I think it's the same kind of impulse, and obviously, obviously, in the creation of those kinds of, um, in, the, in the creation of that backstory, he's drawing on um, many kinds of influences, including um, Norse and Christian and, and all sorts of things. Um, but they're not, again, they're not being cited directly. So, but, but I think it is, it is a, it is a similar kind of impulse. Yeah. So. Yeah. Um, and you know, uh, and and he actually by creating his his own sort of, um, but by creating his own sort of cosmology, I think 
um, you know, he he sort of does one better to to certainly Milton, I think. You know, this isn't to say that Lord of the Rings is is a greater work than than something like Paradise Lost, but because um, you know there are other elements in Paradise Lost, but it it doesn't succumb to the it doesn't succumb to the sort of main fault of something like Paradise mm-hmm. like Paradise Lost, which you know, who am I to criticize it? But um, <laughs> The, the sort of inevitable wall that someone like Milton always runs into when they're sort of playing off of, say, the Christian creation myth is that um, their poetry sort of always um, runs up against um, what we know to be um, the sort of canon of of the of Christianity, right? So, mm-hmm. for example, like the the Jesus Christ of Milton is is very different than. Um, than than what we know Jesus Christ to be, and, and and Tolkien, you know, I don't know if this was his intention in creating like a whole new mythology, but Tolkien never has to run up against that peculiar kind of problem, you know, um, mm. because there's no there's no basis for any of it. So his characters can be whatever they want, and they can be sort of a pastiche of of any influences that he um, feels yes. like. Yeah. So yeah, exactly. I, I don't know how much of that was intentional on his part, but it seems to be a particular stroke of genius to to sort of go in the direction of the sort of theological epic poem mm. but just sort of make up your own thing so you don't have that that one problem and of course in another in, in another in an alternate reality it might be that we know Tolkien uh, not so much for the Lord of the Rings but for a more literal kind of poetic treatment um, of, of his sort of mythical stories because of course we have um, partially complete uh, epics that that are sort of um, that are more in you know perhaps literally in that in that uh, in that tradition, um, but of course he never he never finished them, so um, so they're sort of not quite as well um, well considered or, or as, as discussed as the Lord of the Rings itself, which is of course a much more sort of uh, novelistic prose work, um, mm. novelistic to an extent. So it seems like he was. Uh, Perhaps, if not, uh, if not explicitly thinking in, in those terms, you know, he was at least at least at one stage in his writing career was at least um, going in that direction, as it were. Um, and uh, as I say, yeah, never never quite finished them. But actually, those are th- those are very interesting pieces, though, that that might be good to um, to touch on uh, at some stage. But the other point I think you made, you know, about fantasy, um, which you know, I also love. Uh, I'm sort of odd in that, oh, well, <laughs> in lots of ways, but um, I don't really read um, very much fantasy apart from Tolkien. In fact, my literary interests are sort of completely different. Um, you know, um, I think I've mentioned before that I I like. Um, I don't know. Another favorite author is Steinbeck. I mean, someone just completely different. You know? um, mm. So I don't know. I've, I've really tried to. You know, I read the Game of Thrones books and. I've tried to get into a few other, um, a few other fantasy epics, but um, I don't know. There's something about the quality of the writing, or, or something that just leaves me very cold. Um, I like Ursula Le Guin. I like. There's a book called Blood in the Mist. That's a, a beautiful short, you know, comparatively short, early 20th century um, fantasy work written by a sort of marginal modernist. Um, actually, it's quite similar in many ways to Tolkien's work. Um, even though there's no there's no direct uh, sort of connection as far as we can tell between between them, 
there's obviously something in the in the air at the time, as it were. But um, yeah, so I think I think even though it is the progenitor of the fantasy genre, it um, it's questionable as to whether it actually belongs in the genre in a proper sense. Um, does it really belong with something like Game of Thrones or you know I don't know all the, the modern sort of fantasy epics that that are essentially you know modern characters in medieval garb um, running around. You know, I don't know. I, I would question. I would question that. But again, I don't read much of it, so. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I I don't find that odd at all. I mean, uh, and maybe it's just because I'm the same way. But but to me, um, yeah, I really don't think Tolkien has much in common with with something like Game of Thrones. So yeah, so it's the case with me too that I'm I'm I have not the slightest bit of interest in in other fantasy. Stuff, but but I am interested in token. Um, but you know, I, I think it's it's more to do with like I, I wonder if the if the the comparison being sort of ill has more to do with with the the pitfalls of the genre rather than rather than token's effect on it. So you know, I if someone wants to call token fantasy, you know, who am I to to object? But <laughs> But it, it doesn't get off the hook the rest of the fantasy genre, which, which, um, in my sort of brief experience with it, seems to pretend as if the rest of literature uh, doesn't exist, which, which Tolkien never does. You know, his his um his his great his great um his great strength is to is to sort of bring into into his his own universe. You know. Characters like again, like like um, like Milton's Lucifer and and and, and Satan, you know, they so heavily influence um, mm. Tolkien and and Shakespearean characters like like Iago and, and Macbeth as well. Um, you know, the, the kind of relationship to the rest of English literature um, it is sort of always present in, in Tolkien. Um, but but when I you know when you go on to something like Game of Thrones, it seems to it seems to more often than not, it sort of exists in an island. Um, so it, it seems like, like you said, even though it is the, the progenitor the, of the genre, it seems like most of other people who, who are sort of writing in the fantasy world, um, they've sort of taken the sort of um, the, the superficial aspects of, of Tolkien, but, but not, yeah. the, not the sort of um, the, the, the substance or the, or the stuff that actually makes them sort of, I think, continually relevant and... And, and interesting to study. Um, you know, I, I think I think to- Tolkien's influence and relevance will only will only grow, is my bet. And and I think you know fa- fantasy, like most fantasy stuff, even if it might be quite entertaining for the moment, I'm not sure if they'll have the same kind of longevity. And I, I think it's that it's the they they really just sort of copied the the most superficial aspects of it, which are not that interesting. Um, yeah. yeah, certainly in the fantasy ecosystem now, as it were. They, there is a kind of um, even if I suppose even if we think that they're not necessarily and you know it really it really depends on on, on the writer but um, some of the most famous uh, fantasy writers working today Brandon Sanderson etc there is certainly a dialogue between them even if it's not really uh, even if it's kind of a, in a bubble to some extent um, but but the fantasy the fantasy sort of genre does certainly um, Sort of have a dialogue with itself. So you know whether or not that's <laughs> whether whether or not that sort of gives it the um, uh, I don't know the imprimatur of, of 
proper literature is, is I guess, up to your own, uh, up to personal taste. But um, certainly when I tried to read someone like Brandon Sanderson, I picked it up in a bookshop and opened a page and the prose did absolutely nothing for me. I was just, I was like, oh, well, I'm not going to waste my time reading this. Um, it's just, um, and, you know, that's, that's, that's just my, that's just my thing, um, you know. Obviously, a lot of people do enjoy it, so that's fine. But um, <laughs> but to say that the Lord of the Rings sort of belongs to the same genre as Brandon Sanderson, and I don't know. Obviously, there you know it's like a um, that there's a sort of degree of similarity, obviously. Um, but to say that as some fantasy fans do that, the modern fantasy writers are somehow better, or you know, um, actually. Uh, you know, they, they they do more interesting things than the Lord of the Rings because, um, you know, they come after and therefore they're, they're sort of, you know, there's often this, this attitude, I think, uh, that the Lord of the Rings sort of started things and then other fantasy writers have taken what Tolkien did and they've sort of gone further or they've done different and better things with it. And I don't know, I find that attitude um, uh, kind of misleading and, and, well, just plain, plain wrong, really. Um, yeah. I, I don't know uh, to say that you know to say that Brandon Sanderson is the equivalent of Tolkien as I think um, really yeah a, a, a sort of a well I don't know it, it's I, I don't think it's yeah I don't think it's right um, and to say that to say that they're even in the same belong in the same genre together is is I think again sort of um, debatable but yeah, I don't know yeah. I know there's a lot of people who would disagree with that. <laughs> well, I, I mean, again, I mean, like like you say, that you know, it is it is ultimately arbitrary what one defines as literature. But but one sort of unavoidable thing is that, is that Tolkien is actually a he's actually a really good writer. You know, he he is he's actually really like pleasurable to read, and um and there's obviously um you know like he. He fondles the details, as as Nabokov said, which, which I think is a part of his writing style that has sort of um, bled over into other um, like fantasy stuff. Um, it, yeah. it, they tend to sort of really focus on, I think, like the is the term world building or something. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah. but the, the 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 attention is, I find, you know, often misplaced or it's not sometimes placed in. In matters of like, say the, the the human psyche, which you know, I think Tolkien was was very was very attuned to. I mean, in the, in the way that his again like there's a Shakespearean element to it, where his his characters, you know, they not only speak to to each other and and, and to themselves, but they they you get the sense that they um they are listening to themselves and they and they hear themselves and and they're actually capable of sort of being self-critical and enacting real change um, in their own minds. Uh, you know, this is rarer than you might think in, in, in novels. <laughs> um, most, most characters tend to sort of be, um, be, um, they, they sort of tend to, it, like most novels tend to sort of read Calvinistically, maybe is a, is a better way of saying it. <laughs> but, um, I love that. <laughs> yeah. But, um, you know, it's a mark of a good writer. So I, I think it does just come down to, to that maybe at the end of the day. Um, again, it's totally arbitrary, but, but, you know, if he's fantasy, fine, but, you know, he, he's also a really good writer. And in my experience, most other people in the genre are not for some reason or another. But, you know, yeah. 
that's very critical of the genre, but <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think, yeah, no, I think that's well, you know, I, I feel like, um, I don't know. I, I feel like, I, uh, fantasy fans sometimes weren't, mm, weren't, uh, criticism of this sort because I think they, as I've, you know, as I, as I said, they do sometimes, well, whether they mean to or not, they sort of denigrate Tolkien as a kind of, you know, as a kind of, um, uh, primitive figure in the genre, and then their their favorite authors writing today are the sort of that that's the that's the real avant garde. That's the cutting edge. And I, I just think, well, you know, have you read the books that you like? I mean, they're, you know, they're, they're just dross. But anyway, I, I'm getting yeah. so I'm very um, judgmental. But yeah, that, that's my that's no, that's my that's fair. <laughs> I I wonder how much of that has to do with people with with people having a relationship with the Lord of the Rings that. Um, begins and ends with the movies. Yeah, possibly. Um, I don't know uh, exactly, but certainly, um, you know. And I mean, people will often say, um, if, if you say to if you say to someone, uh, I, d- I don't like the movies. I don't think they did Tolkien justice. They'll often say, Well, you still have the books. But as a rejoinder to that, you know, I might say, you know, I would say that uh, yes, the books are there, but it, but the movies are still influential in the public sort of imagination of. Of uh, you know of his fiction, and I, I think yeah, I, I, look, it could have been a lot worse. And I think the films are as adaptations, you know, um, f- completed sort of at the start of the century, and you know, by by a comparatively inexperienced filmmaker at the time, um, I think they do fairly well, and they're actually kind of it's amazing that they're actually as good as they are. <laughs> but certainly, they do lose some. Obviously, some of the depth of the book, um, but you know, it'll be interesting to compare them to, um, for example, the the upcoming Dune adaptation, um, because yeah. because they've been produced by a much more, I think, a much more competent uh, director, at least you know, at the point point that Jackson and Villeneuve are comparatively, you know, when they when they're doing their two sort of big adaptation projects. Um, but uh, not that I want to get sidetracked into that. But but yeah, I think yeah. I think I think the Lord of the Rings would benefit from a, a sort of mature, more mature sort of TV adaptation or something. But sure, if if by if by the, the the Lord of the Rings movies could have been a lot worse, you mean they could have been the Hobbit movies? Then then you're you're absolutely yeah. spot on. But <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, just a, a real quick thing on the on the. And the movies, mm. I don't want to get too sidetracked on that either, but, um, but, you know, it's, it's not only that, um, like, they're perfectly enjoyable, I think, but, but they almost seem to be, um, sort of enjoyable movies based on a, on a sort of, it's like a, a bunch of variations on the theme of Lord of the Rings, but, um, they, they sort of make a, a category error, you know, like, it's, um, I, I don't remember any specific example like this in the, in the Lord of the Rings, but in the, in the Hobbit movies, you know, one one funny example is that, and, and Tolkien does this so so often, where, um, like the the battle of the five armies is about to start or something, and then you know Bilbo gets hit over the head with a rock, and passes out, and he wakes up, and the battle's over, and then the sort of details of what happened is relayed to him over the course of one or two pages, and then we move on with the business of of the actual novel, right? Um, whereas the the movies they sort of you know they make these sort of long garish um sort of battle scenes out of them um <laughs> so yeah i don't know I, I think it's it's 
they're perfectly fine adaptations, but but it seems to it's not only not doing justice to to what um, Tolkien wrote. It just seems to be like a totally different thing. It's it's a different thing and it's an enjoyable thing for the most part, but it's not the same yeah. thing. And and I and I kind of wonder how much to to get back to the original point. I kind of wonder how much um, of the sort of denigration of, of Tolkien comes from. Um, I'm not really um, being, being being super aware of, of it outside of the movies, but yeah, yeah I don't know. And I think I think you're right. I mean, one one example just to to give a concrete sense of what at least what I'm thinking about is um, the whole issue of who can who can use the ring. Of course, in the book, it's very clear that um, uh, you know anyone can, in theory, use the ring, um, and certainly the more powerful, sort of innately or more perhaps powerful is the wrong word, the, the stronger you are innately, um, the uh, the easier you'll you will uh, the easier you will find um, sort of bending the will the ring sorry to your will. Um, so you know Gollum uh, possesses the ring for sort of five hundred years, but he doesn't sort of end up ruling the world with it. Uh, you know he ends up using it for his own. You know he ends up using it to to kill you know orcs and eat them and and you know those sort of petty kind of kind of behaviors that are sort of um, a part of his character, you know. Um, whereas if we imagine uh, Sauron or, sorry, if we imagine Galadriel or Gandalf, for example, uh, wielding the ring or Boromir, we, we, we can very easily imagine um, imagine them sort of becoming tyrants, which of course is the point. Um, but that whole, the whole sort of logic of that is lost in the movies, which is like the basic logic of the books. Right. Um, because as as Aragorn says in the movies, he says, "Ah, oh, you know, it, it answers to Sauron alone." And it's like, well, <laughs> that's actually like a complete. That, that's actually a very basic and uh, like fun, but but also fundamental misunderstanding of the logic of, of this. Um, what in the films becomes nothing you know, becomes a MacGuffin, you know, um, really. Uh, and, and that's the sort of thing I, I think I mean. Like a, a mature filmmaker slash scriptwriter. You know, would, one would imagine have perhaps understood that and, and found a way to sort of incorporate that logic into the film. And it's not, you know, it's not very, um, it's not very um, difficult. It's not a very difficult scenario. And, and of course, we do see, we still have the scenes where Gandalf sort of gets tempted or whatever, and then, and then Galadriel, um, uh, you know, has her sort of Valkyrie moment. Um, but, but sort of in, in the logic of the films, it doesn't make much sense because. You know, but going by the logic of the films, the rings wouldn't the the ring wouldn't actually function as a kind of as a kind of tool of of, of power because it doesn't answer to anyone except Sauron, and it's always trying to get back to Sauron, and there's that sort of so I don't know what you how how you would take that, but but that sort of basic yeah basic misunderstanding like that kind of um, affects I think the way at least the way I enjoy the movies. Sure, sure. Yeah, I mean it's it's basically treated as a sort of shiny invisibility cloak. Um, yeah, you know, yeah, it, I, I think it's you know it's to to be very charitable to to Peter Jackson. I I I, I wonder if it's just something that he decided. You know what, um, the part of this movie that's gonna sell and uh, you know win what was it eleven Oscars or something in in two thousand one. Yeah, yeah. Um it is gonna be the the sort of more more sexy um battle scenes and um you know the the sort of swarms of of, of men sort of riding down a 
uh, you know, the planes or something like that. So, you know, we're really just going to take everything that's sort of uh, important to, to the actual um, to the actual cosmology of like the Lord of the Rings, and we're just going to condense it into what it, what sort of amounts to like a like a an on off switch for like uh, can other people see you and can Sauron see you, <laughs> you know? Um, yes. And like mix that in with a with like a touch of like it's also kind of like heroin, um, you know? That's that's basically <laughs> that's, that's basically the whole thing. So, yeah, you know, for I, sure. I, I mean, you know, the, the fact that he made a movie that that um, that sold as well as it did is, is undeniable. So, you know, maybe that's, that's his genius. Maybe, maybe if, uh, if he had made a more true, um, if he, if he had made, made a more true adaptation, it would have, it would have, um, totally failed, you know? Yeah, perhaps. And, and of course that's, that's usually the excuse that people who, you know, really love the movies and defend them usually give. Um, but, uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I think there are some minor, comparatively minor, Tweaks that could have been made to to you know, improve improve uh, you know aspects of basic fidelity like that that whole concept. Um, nevertheless, you're right that um, uh, you know that, that they do a great job of um, obviously putting bums on seats, as we say. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and they did that. And I think I, I sort of forgot what the original point was, but yeah, you know, I think the original point was that. Um, uh, you know, have, have the movies um, sort of contaminated, the, I don't know, the public perception of Tolkien, or at least you know, in, in the fantasy community. And um, I think, yeah, I think ultimately they they probably have. And, and one 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 thing I'm hoping that this upcoming Amazon show does, not that I want to get again sidetracked by that, is, is that um, you know, is that in show, showing some of the second age stories it really brings out um another side to talking it's not just about hobbits and sort of macguffins and and you know throwing things in fire and quests um which is really on the surface level really what, what the film is about uh the films are about um you know there's friendship and there's you know things like that but um you know i hope they show another side to his to his writing but yeah um, yeah we'll see. <laughs> I certainly hope that's the case. You know, um, it's it's funny that it's funny that um, the the Lord of the Rings movies were were so um, were so human centric. It seemed, um, which I always understood to be not not the case. Like I always thought it was supposed to be the Hobbit, which was supposed to be um, the the perspective was supposed to be um, sort of human eye view, whereas the other sort of middle earth um stories was supposed to be sort of um from the from the elf point of view if not high, if not higher up than that i'm not sure um and the lord of the rings was supposed to be sort of a, a mixture but but the tone of the of the lord of the rings movies seems to be very much um what i associate with the tone of the the hobbit the the novel mm, sort of very very sort of swashbuckling and um <laughs> you know yeah like a man's eye view of the world basically Right, I see. Yeah, that, that's interesting. Um, I think, yeah, in general, perhaps after fellowship, after after we um, after we get to the two, when we get to the two towers movie, um, certainly that seems to be the case. And uh, you know, I think what's interesting about the book, of course, is that in the two towers and the return of the king, um, the characters split up. And in book uh, was it four, we get um, 
sorry, book three, we get uh, Aragorn and Legolas and all of that. And then in book four, we get Frodo and Sam. And of course, in the movie, those two storylines are sort of all mashed together. Um, so, and, and I think, you know, as you've mentioned, so much energy is given, so much time is given to the Helm, the Battle of Helm's Deep, which, yes, it's, it's a great cinematic set piece, but um, so much is given to that, that sort of the, the smallest story of Frodo and Sam is, is um, at least in the movie, is, is um, I think, less uh, less memorable. And, you know, you go away from that movie having the impression that what is important about the film is this battle sequence. Um, and certainly it is, of course, in the book, but then you read... Um, you read the next section, and uh, you know you're with Fro- Frodo and Sam the whole time. So, you know whether or not they could have uh, organised the film that way <laughs> is, of course, um, up for debate. But um, certainly, it, it, it leaves a different impression on the viewer than the book does on the reader. I think. Yeah, for sure. And and in general, you know, I'm not one to be. Um, a stickler for for sort of the details of of adaptation. I understand that that film and uh, and yeah. novel are sort of different different mediums. Sure. So so some some changes have to be made. But um, I'm much less sort of willing to be forgiving when when there seems to be a sort of misunderstanding of the whole point. And I yeah, think yeah. I think <laughs> what you just said there about um about how you sort of lose the the story of the the little people, I think, you know, they they pay some lip service to it, but the tone of the mm-hmm. film really does not does not um, jive with that. And, and that again, it's it's the whole point. It's the um, in the case of the Lord of the Rings, but also in in you know from from what I remember of like um, of Baron and Luthien and other stories, the whole point is that like you know there's this there's this um, Central irony, which is that the the power of the ring is is correlated to um, the the power of the person wielding it, or or how are you say that? Did I say that correctly? Um, yeah, 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 sure, yeah. Sure, yeah. Uh, but but um, but the 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 um, power of the the sort of little person to to enact um, sort of major world change is is also that like that is that that is like an, an inverse correlation there. Um, the, the person who, who seems not central to the story being, being the person who ends up affecting the most change. That's, that's like a, a sort of central point and sort of central irony that runs through all of, all of Tolkien that the, the movies seem to completely avoid, you know, even wanting to sort of grapple with in any real way. So, you know, I, I'm much less forgiving of, of, of sort of fundamental, um, problems like that. I, I don't know if you have anything to sort of say about that. Yeah, I like the way you put that, and I think that's again a problem with the same in the same class of the misunderstanding that I was talking about before with regards to the, the ring and how it sort of works on people. Um, you know, the point is that it is that it will respond to to you know other characters, not only Sauron. <laughs> so you know, there's a there's another sort of fundamental, and you know, to chalk it up too well, they had to make it even simpler for the movie audiences. I think, um, you know, is I think a cop out. Uh, you know, I think it's a fairly, it's a fairly simple piece of logic that, you know, or a simple piece of storytelling that, that could have been communicated, um, you know, uh, and indeed sort of was, of course, when Gandalf is tempted at the beginning of the movie, you sort of intuitively understand that. And then Aragorn comes along and says, uh, you know, only Sauron can wield the ring. <laughs> so, well, what? 
this is silly. That's that's the opposite. That's that's not the point at all. You know, the point is that yeah. any of these characters could wield the ring. That's why it's dangerous. <laughs> um, and in fact, he will so, say that in the same breath as he rejects um, Frodo's offer to to sort of take the ring on. You know, um, yeah, yeah, for, yeah. for the for the same reason, not the, not the exact same reason, but for similar reasons as Gandalf. Yeah, yeah. So you know, I, I think anyway, I, I think that to to answer your sort of initial sort of query. Um, I think the films have uh, been good in the sense that they um, obviously expand the readership a lot, but also um, perhaps misdirect or uh, misdirect people who um, who perhaps are less familiar with the books and don't read it every two or three years like I do. <laughs> Which, you know, maybe it's maybe it's a slight, as I said, maybe slightly pathetic, but um, you know, um, it's 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 good. I enjoyed it anyway. Yeah, um, that's all that matters. So. Yeah. So in terms of yeah, in terms of the fantasy genre, I think I think um, I think the movies do give one sort of impression, and you know, a careful reading of the books give a different sort of impression. But but of course, uh, most people don't do that, which you know, which is fine. I mean, I get that, whatever. Um, but there is something lost there, as well as something gained, perhaps as well. Um, yeah. So it's a mixed bag. Yeah. Well, so so you know the. To, to sort of move, move it into another, another topic that you mentioned, um, one thing that the, the movies do really emphasize is, is that the Lord of the Rings is, is about, um, is about good and evil. So. Uh, yes. <laughs> so yeah. yeah. So what do you make of that? Yeah. So, okay. Yeah. This is, this is another, um, another big topic, of course. Um, which, which no doubt we'll come back to another time. But th- these notions of the, Notions of the moral polarity um, of the books is, of course, often uh, you know is often talked about. Um, you have a good side and a bad, and I think, uh, of course, that's uh, correct in in a in a sort of a general sense. Um, of course, you have a side that is um, that is sort of uh, unambiguously malicious, and another side that is I don't want to say sort of unambiguously good in all respects, but that is at least um, you know, that the, the very least does not, you know, have it, have it, have it, have it against, uh, against the whole world and that, you know, wants to destroy the whole world. Um, you know, <laughs> so I think, you know, I think, you know, if, if you're sort of left, as it were, left of, um, you know, left of world destruction, you know, we, we can call you sort of in general, you're, you're, you're good or at least better than that. <laughs> um, if that makes sense. So, you know, I, th- I think a careful reading of the book reveals that, you know, not all of the good characters are sort of perfectly virtuous. I, th- I think that's a misunderstanding. Um, although, as one of my interviewees recently recently commented, uh, Dennis Wives, who's written a lot about sort of uh, Tolkien and, and sort of uh, virtue uh, theory, um, it is the case that some characters like Aragorn and Faramir are sort of embodiments of sort of classical virtues. So I think that is that is true, and I think I think perhaps that misleads people to an extent to think to to sort of imagine that all the all the characters um, are given that same treatment. Um, I don't think that's really the case, um, but certainly a couple of them, um, a couple of them, Aragorn and Faramir in particular, um, uh, are given that sort of sage-like. You know, they're, they're sort of sage-like in their in their virtue, mm-hmm. in the stoic sense of the, of the sage. Um, 
so you know, I th- but but I think there's so obviously obviously sort of questions of moral goodness are important um, in the Lord of the Rings, and uh, you know I, I think that's um, something that Tolkien is um, cognizant of and, and sort of imbues into his work. Um, whether you know whether it's comes directly out of his faith or whatever, um, you know, we can sort of discuss. But um, yeah, I don't know. I, I suppose that's that's what I would say about it. Um, except that uh, you know, I, I don't think it's as central a thematic concern or quality as um, some people seem to to think it is. Um, I don't know. How, yeah, what, what would you sort of? What do you think about that question? Yeah, um I certainly don't think it's it's central in the in the in the Lord of the Rings um the the, the novels or or in, in any of the other stuff um like the, the 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 most salient theme to me seems more um it seems more to me like um the fall of of man or the fall of the elves or or whatever um yeah a, a sort of like yeah like a, a um like a biblical fall um uh-huh. it seems to be the, the main thing which which sort of concerns good and evil but but it, it doesn't it doesn't really yeah. sort of cast aspersions in the same way but um it's it, you know it's interesting to me that like you say you know it is true i hadn't ever thought about this but it is true that and that aragorn and faramir really are um like they, they really are purely Good characters. I can't. I can't. I'm not an expert, but I can't think of. I've really, you know, they're they're fairly unimpeachable, as it were. Mm. Um, mm. But what I find really interesting is that is that, um, again, I'm not an expert, so, so please correct me if I'm wrong. But but pure right, evil yeah. doesn't doesn't really exist, does it? I mean, like even even in even in in Sauron or in um, in in, um, yeah. in Melkor, it seems to be it seems to be a, an evil that's that's born of of a desire to to either um, learn more or 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 sort of enact something in the world um, that is maybe initially seen as something positive and sort of it gets perverted into something that is evil. It just seems to be a much more um, nuanced concept of evil than than what is sort of um, generally portrayed, you know. Um. Absolutely, and I, I think you know. Um, I know Razib is my other co-host. You know, he's sort of said this before, like, "Oh, Sauron is just this sort of." Um, uh, you know, I think, <laughs> quite frankly, I think he is a bit. He, he's somewhat infected by the films a, bit, a little bit. Um, <laughs> mm-hmm. Sorry, Razib, but um, you know, certainly in the in the uh, in the in the movies, Sauron is depicted as this sort of, uh, you know. This, as you say, an unimpeachably evil character, sort of the opposite of, of Aragorn. But and and in the movies, certainly there is really very little sense of the backstory. And even the books, it takes quite a while uh, before it, you know in the story we get some sense of what is going on with Sauron. And of course, we never in the in the Lord of the Rings, the novel itself, we never get a full description um, of, or at least how do, how do I say in the narrative itself of the Lord of the Rings. We, pardon me, we never get a full description, perhaps, of what Sauron, Sauron's motives are. You know, as people seem to expect all the time nowadays, like the villain has to have some sort of, um, some sort of, like, uh, intelligible motive. I'm not quite sure why, because, you know, if you think about Hitler, for example, are his motives really intelligible? I mean, he has motives, but they're not good motives. Like, they're not motives that anyone would 
immediately find you know anything well you would hope anyway that people would find <laughs> compelling or interesting i mean there hitler was insane uh, you know and they had these crazy he was motivated by conspiracies yeah um, yeah you know, it's the banality like, of evil well, sort of, yeah, but it's not, yeah, exactly. But like, I guess my point is that it's not though. It's not as though if you, you know, look into Hitler's life story, you find there's something compelling, you know, as an explanation for his evil. I mean, um, sure, sure. If anything, it's kind of the the opposite. And yeah, there's, if anything, there's no point yeah, at which you look at him and, and say like, oh yeah, that makes sense. Is is mm, what you're trying to say, right? No. Yes. Yes. Sorry. I see. Yeah. I, I got you. Waffling. Now. Yeah. 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 <laughs> um, <laughs> um, yeah. Exactly. And I think I think Tolkien perhaps to some extent is making a similar point in the Lord of the Rings. Like ultimately evil, regardless of the character that we, regardless of the you know the the story that evil might um, might tell itself or tell other people, it's not ultimately sort of intelligible as a um, you know as a kind of um as a world view um you know any kind of evil uh, world view whether you're talking about fascism or nazism or i don't know whatever sauron whatever kind of ism sauron is or has or professors um <laughs> does that make sense I, I don't know i mean it does the funny thing is that there is actually a backstory for sauron that kind of actually does make sense of his actions right um but uh certainly to, to a greater degree than than even hitler but um you know, in, in, in the real world. Um, so that, that's the kind of, that's the funny thing. But of course that, that backstory is not given in a direct sense in the Lord of the Rings narrative. Um, and, you know, I think people miss the point if they say that, well, Sauron is one dimensional. Um, well, he's not even a character, right? I mean, not really. Um, so the point, the point is not that he should be multi dimensional. The point is that Tolkien expects you to already kind of find him abhorrent by, you know, Simply by the by the um, by the fact of his sort of um, his behaviours, you know. Uh, so I, I don't know. Does that does that sort of make make sense? And uh, so you know, perhaps it's uh, you know, um, we we often expect literature to to fully, um, I don't know, or we often expect characters to be you know fully enlightened by the writer, um, you know, in all their sort of interiority and the, the sort of titular character, the Lord of the Rings himself is never, um, you know, is never afforded that, uh, <laughs> you know, I think it seems to rub some readers the wrong way because they, they expect sort of Middlemarch, um, Sauron Middlemarch, <laughs> you know, but um, that's not, that's not, that's not what it, yeah, what it is, but I, I don't know if that makes any sense. It does, it does. <laughs> and, and I, I, you know, I, I think that that sort of contributes to, to the the sort of greatness of it maybe and and the and the, at least the, the the longevity until now um obviously i can't see into the future but um <laughs> yeah you know like I, I think if if you could if not not you personally but if one could um <laughs> yeah. um if one could sort of fit fit the characters into sort of neat um allegories as as so many people seem to want to do um i think it would be a lot less interesting and um it, yeah. it would be like the, the conversation around it would be, um, you know, a, a, you know, it would be worse for it. And, um, you know, I think, I think the, 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 the reason that, that it sort of lends itself, that the, that the Lord of the Rings lends itself to, to so many different kinds of allegorical readings, I think is precisely that, um, that Tolkien, uh, he sort of, 
he sort of describes the the sort of the actions and the and the sort of motives of of his characters in such a sort of detailed and and human way ultimately you know despite the fact that they're you know gods and demigods and, and elves and so on um again this goes back to like the shakespearean thing you know they're so deeply sort of human and 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 aware that um yeah you know it you see this all the time in in great works like like all of Shakespeare sure. more or less like or something like Citizen Kane where it the reason it bears endless rewatching is because um because it doesn't fit into any neat category because um it, it is actually sort of about about humans and it is sort of very close to life in that way and and life doesn't really fit into any neat um allegories itself obviously it's very messy and people have motives and sometimes they're intelligible and sometimes they're not um but but they they're just not it's it's just messier than that and um and you do have to rein it into some level of course in fiction but but i think the sort of great mystery of great writers is to is to be able to balance that between that that line between um the right amount of artifice and the right amount of sort of life creeping into his characters um yeah yeah, yeah. and and yeah. yeah i think i think you're you're right at least in terms of some characters i mean as i said i, I think i think some characters like aragorn and faramir in the book um, at least from the Hobbit's point of view, are indeed depicted as kind of almost they are they are depicted as virtuous, and I, I don't mean you know, I, I don't I don't think this is necessarily a a, um, a criticism of Tolkien, although some people seem to to want it to be. Um, but I think it's a mistake to then um, to think that all the characters are depicted uh, like that. I, I think, for example, uh, if you read the story of Frodo, Sam, and Gollum, I think it's um, more or less written as a kind of a novel, as you, you know, uh, as you might have read in in the twentieth century. That is, you know, the characters are compl- complicated. They're not simply um, virtuous or non-virtuous. They are, and I prefer I prefer that terminology to good or evil. I think it clarifies things a bit. Nice, I um, like that. So, for example, you know, Sam is is not a. Many people love Sam as a character, but he's also kind of. Um, uh, flawed in, in, in quite a few respects. Um, you know, in his sort of devotion to Frodo, he sort of, uh, he misses Gollum's humanity. Uh, now that's, that's a fairly serious flaw. Um, <laughs> you know, um, in the film it's kind of gestured towards, but it's never given the time. Now Frodo is more mature than Sam and obviously has a sense of Gollum's humanity, but Frodo is also kind of, um, uh, Frodo kind of, uh, despairs you know that i don't know he's he, he frodo is not heroic in the sense that he believes the mission will be done um and that uh you know that the god is on his side you know he's not sort of like that as some people seem to think that he is um frodo believes seems to think the mission will fail but does so any does, does it anyway um now i don't know if that's necessarily a flaw but it's certainly something that you know, requires then then you know requires that Sam step up and sort of and rescue him from that sort of despair. Um, mm. So you know, obviously, in in that section of the story, I think you get a novel, right? In the other sections of the story, when when the characters split up, I think, for example, in book three, when we have the Battle of Helm's Deep and we have Rohan and, and things like that, I think you do get more of the romance that um, you know you, you, we see characters who are more broadly drawn. Um, 
course, we have Aragorn and Legolas, and, and, and some of the characters like Legolas and Gimli, for example, don't. You know, they're not drawn very in a very detailed way, which is fine. I mean, not not all characters have to be. Um, you know, so I think in the Lord of the Rings we get a, a mix of sort of uh, novelistic conventions and then uh, and, the, and the kind of expectations that you might go into a novel with, you know, the deeply drawn characters, psychology, etc. But also at the same time, uh, in other sections of the narrative, you have characters who aren't as as broadly, you know, or sorry, as deeply drawn as that. And I think that's fine. I think I think you know, The Lord of the Rings really gives you a, a sort of a, a variety of of, um, of kinds of ways that characters can be uh, seen in a kind of literary sense. And uh, the issue for me is that some people draw. Um, generalizations from, you know, say Aragorn, and and then say that well, this is how all the characters are. I, th- I think that's wrong too. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. That, that's how I. I think there's a complex, you know, a complex kind of story of of how Tolkien is thinking about um, moral questions in the in the book, and it's not simply reducible to some characters are good and some characters are bad. Um, I think that's a failed reading, quite <laughs> frankly. <laughs> No, I think that's I think that's well put, and I think that's a that's that's a, a sort of microcosm in the Lord of the Rings for for the rest of the the sort of Middle Earth writings. Um, I'm not actually yeah. sure. I'm not actually sure. Just a quick side note: Did Did Tolkien write anything outside of his Middle Earth stuff? Um, there are a number of short stories. Um, well, there, there's a couple of categories. So there's a number of a number of what you might call fairy stories, which are kind of short stories set in a kind of fairy world that are not directly tied to you know Middle Earth. Mm. Um, and perhaps we can discuss those sometime at some stage. There's a couple of allegorical stories, um, and there's also another class of uh, poems and sort of unfinished work that have been published only recently. Uh, which are sort of retellings or translations of medieval, you know, properly medieval works. Um, so there's his translation of Beowulf, for example, which was published a few years ago. Hmm. There's the legend of Sigurd and Gudrun, which is a pro, uh, sorry, a, a poetic, um, a poetic retelling of the, pardon me, the Volsunga saga from Norse. Um, it's not a translation. It's an actually, it's actually, uh, it's modern English written in like the no- ancient Norse um, or old Norse um, Eddic verse forms. Hmm. Um, don't ask me to explain that because I. <laughs> <laughs> but um, so yes, there are, there are a few a few non Middle Earth uh, uh, writings out there. Yeah. Nice, nice. Yeah, well, uh, I was I was just saying that I think I, I think that's what, what you said of the Lord of the Rings in terms of having a sort of bunch of different. Styles sort of contained within it is true of, of Tolkien generally. Um, yeah. So you know, it, it really doesn't bear any sort of generalization. Any sort of generalization. I can't say that word right now. Um, I, 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 yeah. But too much, too much wine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, um, oh man, what was my point? Um, um. Uh, different styles in in his work, sort of. Oh yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So I, I think I already I already said said before about how how I think that the Hobbit is a sort of it's very novelistic and um, and the the sort of Silmarillion and and um, that kind of stuff is it's it seems very sort of like 
I don't know if this is actually a word, but like mythopoetic or something. Um, that is a word. Is it a word? Okay, <laughs> nice. Um, and then, and then, yeah, in the Lord of the Rings, it seems to be, it seems to be sort of, um, a mishmash of, of all that. I don't mean that as a derogatory term, but, um, no, it, it really seems yeah. to be a sort of a, a melding of the, of the other, of the other kinds of writings that he did. So I find it really interesting in that, in that sense. Um, yeah. Yeah. I think you're right about it. Yeah. Um, you know, and I think I like to read the Lord of the Rings as a single volume, um, because if you do that, you can have, you have the appendices there all the time and I think that's a good reminder that um, this is kind of um, this is meant to be or it's, it's intended as a uh, uh, you know as uh, how, to, how to explain it uh, as a story within the story world right it's uh, like like all of like the Silmarillion and like some of Tolkien's other fiction um, there there is a meta fictional uh, perspective which is um, you know, if you just read The Fellowship of the Ring and you, you know, skip the prologue, you will not get, but if you do read the whole work, including the appendices, or, or even if you, you know, you, you may not read them all, but you might, you might delve into them, it gives you a sense that, well, there's a, there's a, um, there's more going on here than just, you know, a novel is being presented to you and you are getting a sort of unambiguous, um, uh, perspective into the lives and, and, of these characters, you know, um, and mm. I think that's a. This is something that I've been talking about, you know, in recent interviews with various scholars who've written on this, and uh, you know, I'm fairly convinced now that that is actually really central to um, to the reception of the Lord of the Rings, or at least a you know a a, a, a critical and deep sort of reception. Um, yeah, and, and I'm still not quite sure what I think about that, but. Um, yeah, so so there there is the kind of there there is the I guess my point is that there's there's the sort of narrative layer if you like, um, and then there's also the metafictional level as well. Um, you know, we can we can then we, we are with the characters in, when we're reading the, the the narrative, but then we uh, you know we are drawn back in the appendices to a very very sort of high historical um, point of view. Um, you know, in chronicles and, and family trees and things like that. And, you know, it's the interaction between those elements, I think, that produces, um, you know, what you sort of mentioned um, some time ago, which is that central, um, that central concern of the book, which, you know, is, is not really, I don't think it's good and evil per se. It's, it's, um, yeah, that, that lot, the loss of that world and what that means, um, the fading of the elves, as you put it, um, Hmm. I think that's yeah, that, that's the central the central part of, of the book. I think, and I think yeah, that, that really comes through um, when when you have those those other texts, not just the narrative there as well. But um, I think to, just to, to make one more point about the the films, I think the films more or less miss that entirely. Um, that there are there are hints of it there, but I, I think the films more or less um, yeah fail to grasp that. I don't know what you would think about that, but yeah. Um, yeah, I, I, I mean, I think that's, that's, that's pretty true. I mean, they, they really, they, they really don't even sort of, uh, they don't even seem to want to sort of grapple with the, with the sort of complexity that, um, that, that, that um, Tolkien's sort of entire, um, like the, the whole metafiction that Tolkien wants to, wants to sort of deal with. Um, it, it, it's, it, it, it almost seems like, like Peter Jackson just sort of, Put that aside and said, like this, 
you know, this is not going to be, this is not going to be the, within the purview of this, of these films. Um, so it, it I'm, I'm not sure if I'm making sense on that, but it, it doesn't even seem like there's a, there's a failed attempt at that. It seems like there was no attempt at sort of conveying, yeah. at, at conveying that, that sort of complexity. Yeah, yeah. Now, my, my Vladimir Berliak, um, who I've, scholar who I've just interviewed, um, you know, he, he pointed out that there's very little in the movies that gestures, as you say, gestures towards that. There's a couple of scenes where the characters are writing the red book or, or, or something, but, um, we really presented this world as though it just exists unambiguously. Um, and, you know, I, I guess most people probably do read the book like that, but I think if you then, if you then, um, want to read any of other any of the other books by Tolkien, you know, the Silmarillion or whatever, you you have to actually think about the metafictional perspective. Um, because for example, the Silmarillion is presented to you as a kind of um, you know, as a collection of of of, of, uh, of stories from a, a very remote past. I think um, I'm just trying to find what Christopher Tolkien says about it. It's um, uh, he says, a complete consistency in the Silmarillion is not to be looked for and could only be achieved by heavy, heavy and, and, and needless cost. He says, my father came to conceive of the Silmarillion as a compilation, a compendious narrative made long afterwards from sources of great diversity that had survived in age-long tradition. So I think that goes for the Lord of the Rings as well, you know. Um, you know and I think that, that uh, so we get that that sort of, immediate perspective in the narrative, but also then we're taken back, um, you know, by that sense of distance between the events that are being described and the sort of historic, the retelling of the events that we're, that we're experiencing. So I don't know that, that for me at least is the central, the central um, point of the book really. Yeah. Yeah. That, that, that's, that's an interesting quote from, from Christopher Tolkien. Um, and it, it almost seems to sort of parallel um, like a, a, another sort of central central theme of 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 all of his sort of Middle Earth writing seems to be the, the sort of role of of um of creation or of of like creation as as a sort of artificial act, you know, like um the the sort of power of of making something and and the and the sort of cost of preserving it, um and there's something that it, that I can't really, you know, I, I would need to sort of study more to to be able to put it um, yes. succinctly. But but there seems to be some sort of um, some funny parallel there between between the sort of um, ultimate chaos that that um, that the the sort of Lord of the Rings metafiction always sort of ha- has to run into because it is just it is so huge. Um, and, and no sort of no sort of internal consistency could could really ever be gotten, um, and and you know with with that sort of as the um, as as sort of uh, as relating to to the problem that the elves have of of sort of um, you know trying to preserve their their world. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's I think that's the colossomatic piece. Yeah. It's 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 that it's that that issue of um, creation and preservation. And um, and then uh, and then loss. Uh, yeah, I think that's yeah that that's the core um, theme of the book. And and as you know, scholars have pointed out, like uh, Michael Drought, who's a great sort of writer and Tolkien, um, 
you know, that creates this sense of nostalgia. And, and, and then his idea anyway is that, is that it's for that reason that so many critics, at least you know, maybe not so much anymore, but, you know, when it first came out, um, disliked the book. It's because it actually sort of sent a, you know, it, its dominant emotion is nostalgia. And, and, um, and that, you know, his argument is that for many critics in the sort of central 20th century, as it were, that, that was kind of anathema, you know, um, hmm. So I, I don't know how how sort of um, how plausible that that argument is, but it, it makes sense to me because I mean many people have noted you know that it's backward looking. It's sort of I mean many people say oh, right you know it's nostalgic. This is you know as though this is a bad thing, but uh, I think it's a as as Michael uh, Drought has has argued that's a that's a fairly central human emotion. Like it's it's something that we should actually. Um, you know, that, that perhaps some literature has, has something to say about, it. and I think that's I think that's probably why the Lord of the Rings is so popular. Because whether people know it explicitly or not, I think it produces this sense of um, of nostalgic want that is so uh, you know is both um, is both good and bad. It, it it is you know somehow consoling, but also you know it also makes us sad. Um, and I think that's why. That's why the book works, at least for me, because um, you know it so definitely evokes those kinds of emotions. Yeah, I think that's beautifully put. <laughs> I really don't have anything to add to that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, end of podcast. That, that's that's it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So, but but I mean, having said that, I think I think uh, you know, again, just to bash the films just a little bit more. Sure. Um, I promise. I promise. This podcast will not be a film bashing podcast <laughs> for any listeners. Uh, and I do. I like watching the films. I don't hate the films. Um, they're fun to watch, and you know, it's, it's fun to sit down with people, and uh, especially people who you know haven't read the books and, and talk to them about the films and, and um, watch the films with, with people like that. Um, so you know, I, I just to get that out there. But but yeah, I, I just feel like for me, at any least. The films rarely evoke those kinds of emotions. Um, perhaps they can't. Perhaps it's difficult. But but I think you know. I think uh, in fact you might even. Well, I don't, I don't know. I mean, for me anyway. Uh, I don't know, and I, I'm not you know that much of a film buff. But maybe in some sense, film is almost a better medium to evoke those kinds of emotions because you can do so perhaps more easily in a visual medium. But it's perhaps, so therefore, it's maybe it's ironic that the films don't do that very well that is the, the adaptations um i don't know but um <laughs> yeah no, I'm, I'm not that's just yeah. i'm not sure whether whether film is is better than 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 um than literature to to evoke nostalgia but it very well could be but it, yeah you're, you're right in that that is a that is a huge fail, failure of the of the films and um you know if, if i may get my own sort of last bit of, of film bashing out of the way um, yeah, sure. yeah. I think I think the fact that you know, like the 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 Lord of the Rings movies are, are not. I don't think they're horrible. Like like you said, you know, they're they're enjoyable enough to to watch um, every now and then. But you know, the, um, I think the fact that the Hobbit movies um, are so mm-hmm. bad, they're, they're so they <laughs> they went above and beyond, and and they sort of doubled down. On I think the worst aspects of the Lord of the Rings movies, um, yeah, and they sort of they doubled and tripled down on that and 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 made it yeah. sort of un, unbearable to watch. And I think you know we we can laugh about it, but but I think it it sort of um, 
to me, it, it reveals that Peter Jackson is maybe not um, a sort of very detailed, close reader of, of Tolkien. Um, it, seems, it seems to me that, you know, like now, you know, it, it, it almost seems like he made three films and they're not they're not horrible, but they really seem to miss the point. Um, and then and then he he got and then he seemed to think that the parts of those films that were good were exactly the wrong parts of them. And then he doubled down and made three more that were just even worse. So, um, so I, I think that goes to the point that we were making earlier that, that not only are, are they, um, you know, they're, they're sort of failures in some sense, but, but they weren't even like they, they were just completely missing the point. It wasn't even like a, a sort of good attempt failed. It was, it was, um, it was just doing something completely, completely different. Yeah, yeah, you know, again, it, it got it got bumps and seats, like you said. So, uh-huh. yeah, well, I don't know. The less about the Hobbit films said about the Hobbit films that I, I mean, I was just one thing that rankles me the wrong way really is, is is Tolkien scholars and fans who, especially at the time that they came out, you know, really tried to defend them as sort of. Um, I know there's this annoying strain in scholarship, at least it's annoying to me, that says that well, if something is an adaptation, then it sort of doesn't have to have anything to do with the original text, um, you know, it's a separate, it's a separate piece of media, and therefore, you know, whatever what the creators do with it is sort of, you know, sort of value neutral. Um, I think this is a ridiculous point of view, and like, we should absolutely be able to judge uh, adaptations on the basis of at least some, you know, taking into account the differences that you know, or the changes that occur when, you know, media one media is adapted into another. Um, uh, one type of media is adapted to another type of media. You know, taking that into account, I think we should still be able to judge a piece of art on its fidelity to the original if it's an adaptation. Um, you know, if it's something different, then call it something different. I mean, <laughs> like, it's a really obvious point. Um, but, but for some reason, scholars, especially like media scholars and people, I, I don't know, like, like some literary people as well, um, they've, they've really, um, they've really dropped the ball on that, I, th- I think. And they, they sort of say, well, you know the, the films are a different thing, and yes, they are. But but they are, you know, they are adapting adapting a particular book, um, which has its own particular features and its own particular um, point of view. And uh, I don't know from from my in my from my perspective, I, I don't see why you would want to do an adaptation or tr- try to try to succeed in adapting a piece of fiction like The Hobbit or whatever if you were only going to completely change the story. <laughs> um, you know, I mean, yeah. it's different. Like something like fan fiction is different, where, um, where uh, you, you know, you might take a story and then and then write it from a different perspective or something like that. But that's not the same thing. That's not the same. That's not an adaptation, at least in that, in the commercial sense. You know, where you know movies are adapted from from books. Um, you know, the, the idea is not necessarily to completely. Um, uh, you know, completely changed the story. I, I wouldn't have thought anyway. Uh, perhaps I'm naive. No, I mean, you, of course you're, of course you're right, and I agree with you. But you know, <laughs> yeah. but e- but even if even if I were to grant that to the to the media scholars, um, you know, they still have to get around the fact that the at least in the case of the Hobbit movies, they're truly exceptionally horrible, horrible films. Um, I don't even <laughs> yeah, think yeah. it can't even be said of the Hobbit films that that they got bums and seats. You know. 
Um, at, at least yeah. that that could have been said of Lord of the Rings. You know, it, it, there, there's some scenes in Lord of the Rings where you know they were really cinematic achievements, and and it, you know, yeah. whatever else it did, it did you know sweep at the Oscars, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I, I have not met a single person, at least, who has anything nice to say about the Hobbit movies. So um, they still have that problem to contend with. Yeah, I mean, they they certainly did make money. They weren't flops, but um, but certainly their cultural impact was not. Uh, Particularly evident, um, I would have said, um, and, and I think they fail as artistic endeavors. Sure. There are certain elements that I like, but um, well, when I say I like, I, I think you know they 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 weren't terrible. Let's say, <laughs> like Martin Freeman as Bilbo was a good choice, I think, but um, a little too self-aware, a little too um, a little too winking at the audience, kind of. Too cynical, maybe. Bilbo's not cynical. I think Martin Freeman is a bit cynical. Yeah. But um, as an actor, at least that, that's the that's the impression I get. Um, but uh, you know, in general, he was a good choice. I liked the Elven King. You know, he was kind of cool. But um, yeah, I, I don't know. <laughs> this notion that they needed to include Legolas, that, that you know, I don't know. Just just adapt the book. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, you know. Uh, uh, anyway, but yeah, no, I agree that they're overall they're they're, they're, they're terrible films. Um, yeah, and really, really, really a blight in Jackson's otherwise, you know, mostly okay filmography. I would have, I would have said, <laughs> but um, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, yeah, I, I think like you said, you know, the, the less we speak about the Hobbit movies, um, the better. Just we can just <laughs> pretend like they don't exist. Yeah, yeah, for sure. But um, I guess the final, uh, well, we've talked about, yeah, adaptations. Um, the final sort of thing I wanted to talk about, topic, um, is, you know, again, I'm not good at segues yet, so I'm sorry about that. <laughs> not not podcast yet. I, I'll, hopefully I'll get better over time. Um, but, but the final topic I wanted to think about, at least at least here, is... Um, uh, I don't know. I don't know how to introduce this delicately, but there are certain readings, and, and again, all of these topics hopefully we'll return to at some stage in, in greater depth, um, including the movies. It'd be fun to kind of do a, a sort of a roundtable with, with um, I don't know, perhaps perhaps people who've never seen them before or something. Mm. I don't know who that would be because most people have seen them. But <laughs> but um, uh, it, this notion of like how uh, how the book. Again, to return to the Lord of the Rings book is um, is received now today, um, and you know, something I've noticed, and I've mentioned this with um, some of my past interview guests, um, is that there are nowadays, I think, there is a space for uh, reception of Tolkien that uh, perhaps was not there before. Um, before pardon me, social media, or at least people couldn't share, you know, share their ideas so widely. So, for example, there's, there's a there's a sort of a movement on Twitter of, of people who love Tolkien, obviously, but um, they're, they they kind of approach the book almost as a, you know, the way I heard it described the other day, was as almost as a YA novel. Um, so they'll really, they'll really emphasise and perhaps... Um, Exaggerate the extent to which Frodo and Sam have a relationship, <laughs> right. um, and uh, so that's one issue. For example, um, and I, I'm not saying not, not for a moment that I, I think this is wrong or bad. Uh, um, in fact, I kind of see some merit in this idea. Um, 
you know, I think there is interpretive space for these kinds of readings. And another another issue is um, Tolkien's religion. This is a bit more of a um, scholarly uh, debate, I think, uh, that I that I see a lot of Catholic writers and um, you know, conservative America in in that conservative um, kind of media space um, want to sort of own Tolkien or claim ownership. As a sort of Catholic writer, I've noticed this, and sort of any readings that um, that are not sort of uh, that don't sort of adhere to that p- perspective are often sort of denounced or they're not thought about. But you know, there, there are people who will read Tolkien as as more of a as emphasising certain non-Christian elements in the work, right? And there's been a few papers which we might look at written in that in that vein. Um, so I don't know. If, well, <laughs> you know, I don't know if you have opinions about this. I mean, you. Don't have to have opinions about these questions, but um, since they're fairly sort of uh, arcane in a sense, but um, I don't know. Do you think there's interpretive space, I guess, uh, for these kinds of readings, um, or should we, should we? Uh, uh, another way to put it might be: should we, um, cent- you know, center the the words of the author or the, the perspectives of the author um, to the exclusion of other ideas and other perspectives? Um, yeah, that's a huge question. <laughs> and again, well, we don't have to exhaust the topic right now, but um, yeah, I just want to at least introduce it and start thinking about it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's obviously it's obviously a, a very important topic um, when it comes to token. But um, you know, I, I sort of think as a general rule with with um, with interpretive space, uh, you know, and, and maybe this is coming from from my point of view as a as a sort of classical musician. Excuse me. Sure. Um, I think you know you you have as much interpretive space as you as you need to to say something um, interesting. You know, as as long as it's um, as long as it sort of um, is interesting and and has sort of some merit and yeah, um, yeah and yeah. and sheds. Shed some sort of light on on the rest of Tolkien that um, that would other not would would otherwise have not been shed and, and again is is interesting to to think about. Um, I have no problem with it. Um, I, I don't even have problem with with totally self-serving um, like readings um, that that don't necessarily um, elucidate much more. You know, but I think I, I'm I'm pretty um, libertarian in that in that sense. I think you can um, you can have your way with the author, but um, but I, but I do think that for for me to take you seriously, not again, not you, but um, yes, you, you yeah, the yeah. person doing the alternate reading, um, <laughs> there, there has to be some some sort of interesting thing, you know. So, for example, to to sort of draw like an analogy to to music, you know, you can say like, oh, I have this really um, kooky way that I'm going to play this Bach fugue or something, um, and you know, if you just you know, on the most extreme end, just sort of start playing different notes or different rhythms or contort the tempo <laughs> to the point that it's unrecognizable. Um, you know, mm-hmm. I'm not going to stop you. You know, there are plenty of people playing, you know, Bach fugues very well. So I'll just stop listening to you and go listen to someone else. So I have no real problem with it. But for me to care, it has to be um, sort of both different and um, and sort of, I guess, maybe relevant or interesting. Um, th- that's the, that's the sort of most broad um, broad um, approach that I have to to do um, with interpretive space. You know, w- with anything, with with literature or with or, or with music. Um, w- but what about you? 
think, well, I think you've said it really nicely there. I, I agree with that, I think. Um, as I said, I, I think, um, yeah, I think as in any, you know, if you want to suggest a, a serious critical reading, I think ultimately you do need to have some evidence for your ideas um, in the text. But that's not to say, that's not to say that, um, you know, you have to sort of, uh, you know, approach literature like a science and, and sort of prove beyond, you know, sort of reasonable doubt, you know, like a science or a court, a court battle. I, th- I think, as you say, there are, you know, there are um, a variety of readings which we might be more or less, as you put it, like self-serving, which might have more or less warrant in the text um, and might be, you know, more or less illuminating in, in other, you know, for other works by that particular author. But, um, uh, you know, I, th- I think that, uh, I think that, yeah, in general, um, I sort of like, I like the direction of, uh, of a lot of these sort of readings of Tolkien, for example, that, that, um, uh, emphasize perhaps the pagan elements. And I, I know I, I, I sort of like reading Tolkien in that way because I, I, even though he's a Catholic, I don't think he's, I don't think he's like wedded, with a chain, like with a chain to his theology, I, th- I think often he does interesting things with his kind of um, implicit philosophy or the, the implicit philosophical or theological thinking that's in his works. That's not just sort of orthodox, um, and people often deny that. But I, I think that's um, I think that misreads or at least underreads his uh, you know his creativity. In fact, I think what makes Tolkien so interesting is, is in the tension between uh, sort of what you might call orthodoxy and uh, sort of, uh, I don't know, pagan or secular um, sensibilities um, that, you know, perhaps arrive out of his uh, medieval sources to an extent, but also are sort of, you know, some scholars have argued are sort of somehow implicit in his, his personality, you know. Um, so yeah, no, I think I think I agree agree with that. I think we have uh, yeah we've exhausted that topic. That's uh, <laughs> um, may, may I jump in here with with just a quick example for um, yeah yeah for sure go ahead yeah yeah um yeah like so so you know even if we just look at something something like um like the 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 fall of of, of Melkor um I think it has more to do with um with with the the sort of the the, the fall of Lucifer in, in Milton's Paradise Lost, which is which is really not um, orthodox. It, you know, it really has more to do. You know, just go, going back levels, it has I think more to do with with Shakespeare. You know, um, with someone like um, like Iago's um, envy at being passed over by by you know his lord um, Othello for for, for Cassio. Um, That's really interesting. Yeah. Parallel, yeah. Yeah. To 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 Lucifer having that same sort of envy, um, and and Melkor, um, is it to Manway at that point? Um, again, I'm not a scholar here, but but um, it's it's a a much more. Sorry. I guess at that point it would be sort of like Iluvatar, sort of you know, aka God. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I, I I really need to brush up on that, but. Um, but I, oh, I think it's the same same impulse. It's a very um, humanistic uh, the- theology, if it is a if it is a sort of theology. It's mm-hmm. not orthodox at all. It has much more to do with Shakespeare um, than it does with the Old Testament. Um, yeah. And and that tension is is there throughout, and I find that really really interesting. And and th- that that's why, like you said, the the sort of 
um, approach that's sort of more paganistic, it doesn't it doesn't um, jar with me at all. Like I I, I totally I totally um, am down with that because because that, yeah. that's something that's in the text. I think it's um, yeah. It's, it's, yeah. yeah 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 that's interesting. So I don't know this, but uh, you don't have to answer. But are you sort of religious at all or? I'm not. Um, I, no, I used to be. I used to be Hindu um, when I was growing up. Right. Okay. But yeah. um, I, I've 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 since become a, a, a heathen a unbeliever. A heathen, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, me too. Well, you know, I'm going to have to ask you about the the, the Hindu parallels now. Um, that's oh, <laughs> I'll, sure I'll have to think about those. You know, I, I've <laughs> maybe there are. Yeah. yeah. Um, I don't know if Tolkien was was. Uh, you know, but look, he was educated. He probably was familiar to some extent with. Uh, I don't know the. Mahabharata or something. I don't, I don't know. But sure, so, sure. I, I'm, I'm not sure if that. <laughs> I think that would be a really interesting episode. You know, I'll have to sort of think about it in more research. But yeah, we, you know, we could do that. Yeah. Um, or even sometimes it's it's fruitful to think not about like influence, but just about um, more general parallelism or differences, because often that can, you know, between texts, between authors and traditions, because often that can eliminate, um, you know, eliminate certain things. Yeah. Um, but uh, but yeah, that, that's interesting. Yeah, I mean, I am also um, non-religious, uh, and um, you know, so I, I tend to just naturally approach talking like that. I, I just I don't. But you know, now being a sort of a fan, I, I guess I, um, you know, it, it's interesting. Not just a fan, but but someone who is, I suppose, um, who reads the the literature on on the books and the you know on the on the stories. Yeah, it's interesting to think about that um, that uh, that issue, and, and certainly um, I think it's a fairly central one because, um, if for no other reason than because I think it it really has bearing on how you take what you take Tolkien to be saying um, and what you take his work to be saying. Sure, sure. Yeah, so, but uh, but yeah, that, yeah, that's so, a whole kind of worms. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> obviously that that whole topic is just um, you know uh, yeah. I just wanted to to sort of bring it up, just to introduce it and to think in a preliminary way about it. But there are many issues um, that uh, you know, and also just to you know again to use this podcast as a platform to air my own grievances, which you know <laughs> no doubt I'll do. Uh, That's the only reason um, to you start know, a podcast, man. <laughs> Uh, yeah, this is really what I wanted to do. Um, <laughs> all these, all these people that annoy me, and I just want to, you know, um, <laughs> hopefully, not, hopefully, it will not degenerate into that. But, um, <laughs> but um, uh, no, I was just going to say that, you know, there are sort of, I don't know, there's a lot of good Tolkien scholarship that's being done, or scholarship on Tolkien, I should say. Um, but a lot of it's in, in papers and, and things, as, as you know, as you might imagine. But a lot of the more popular level Tolkien um, scholarship stuff, uh, like for example, the Tolkien Professor um, stuff. I don't know if you ever come across his stuff. Um, he does a lot of interesting. Well, I don't know. He, he does a lot of podcasts and read read throughs of Lord of the Rings and stuff. But um, you know, he's more or less he more or less approaches the text from a very sort of um, I don't want to be too mean, but <laughs> more or less uh, staid perspective. It, it, it's almost, um, you know, he approaches the text as a kind of unambiguous, again, as I was 
relating relating back to the metafiction discussion as a kind of unambiguous record of events. You know, this is a novel that has certain themes. Um, and, and as I say, that's a fine way to. I don't want to like. I don't want to cast aspersions on anyone for approaching the text like that. I think that's perfectly valuable. But I think once you've been a scholar for a while, you know, I think I think it behooves you to think about other perspectives. And um, what frustrates me about a lot of you know that sort of I don't, I don't know Tolkien scholarship that really interfaces with with the public re- with public readers, which I think is good to do, is that it, it doesn't really challenge the text or think about the text in challenging ways. Um, it's, it, you know, it thinks about them in a fairly, again, religiously orthodox way. There's always, the Christian interpretation is always at the centre. Um, you know, for example, this concept of view catastrophe, which is, I don't know, have you heard of that? <laughs> no, what is that? So Tolkien, this is Tolkien's own concept uh, developed in an essay he wrote and then delivered in the 30s, I think. Um and it's this idea of a good catastrophe, a you catastrophe. So when, you know, when the eagles uh, arrive and save everyone, um, this is the, the you catastrophe, the good catastrophe. So in other words, it's this sort of slightly unexpected event that's not counted on to, can't be counted on to re- occur, but sort of, you know, sort of in a theological sense, somehow points to hope, you know, points to sort of the sense of providential hope beyond, beyond, the ends of the world beyond beyond sort of evil and, and suffering and you know many people take that to be the sort of central idea of the Lord of the Rings that you know the world is actually kind of um, you know ultimately ultimately we can we can you know hope that God will come and save us. I mean I find I find this a uh, I find this a sort of a constraining and, and sort of boring reading of the Lord of the Rings. Um, I think it's a little bit more complicated than that, but. You know, because, because Tolkien himself proposed this idea, um, you know, not not directly in relation to Lord of the Rings, but in relation to fairy stories more generally, um, people use it as a kind of tool to interpret his own work and say, well, this is, you know, this is how we should. So, for example, this Tolkien Professor podcast, you know, will 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 often return to this theme, this idea of catastrophe, and but it, but it's never it's never challenged, it's never thought about in in a complex way. It's always just sort of well, that's it. There's the catastrophe. You know, <laughs> there's there's God intervening in the world again. You know, um, like it's just yeah. I don't, myself, I find I find uh, I find it a very um, what's the word I'm looking for? It's sort of uh, it's it's a uh, yeah, it's just it constrain it's constraining and kind of. Um, no, I, I can't think of the word I'm trying to. <laughs> it's on the tip of my tongue, you know. But but um, yeah, sort of. I mean, it seems like it yeah, could go be on. wrong. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't. I don't want to well, be so bold. Yeah. I mean, I'm not a scholar, so I can't. You know, who am I to 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 just say that? But but th- that doesn't no, even seem. Fine. It doesn't even seem. Not only does it seem constraining, but it seems. It seems like a misreading. It, it's like like mm. like you said. It seems. Places it is. Yeah. 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 yeah, like the the like you were saying, the the main the main thrust of the whole thing is is nostalgia and and fading. Um, it doesn't it, it doesn't it doesn't strike me as as um, as right to to sort of view it as a sort of build up towards this this uh, this new catastrophe and and there it is that's that's um that's providence, you know that doesn't yeah that doesn't yeah. strike me as authentic. Certainly, I, I think. Um, Perhaps this is a topic, to, you know, for its own podcast, really. But, but again, you know, in the interest of just <laughs> just mentioning a few of my of my contrarian opinions, um, I think 
at the beginning of the Lord of the Rings book, for example, there, there is a sense of the providential, you know, Gandalf sort of says, you know, the, the quote is in the movie, you know, Gandalf says to Frodo, you know, you were meant to have the ring. There's a sense of sort of cosy meaningfulness that's somehow imbued into the whole thing. And then again at the Council of Elrond, sort of Elrond says, seems to me that you're appointed to have the ring. And, and you know, again, there's this sense of sort of cosy you know, it's kind of the opposite of Lovecraft, right? This cosmic indifferent horror. It's kind of this cozy, cozy sort of sense of um, right. I've, I've, I'm, I'm, um, I'm, uh, you know, I'm sort of meant to, to 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 do this quest or to have this quest happen. Hmm. Um, so there, I think you know, certainly there is that element, but but I think that um, it would be a misreading, or at least I would argue, it, it would be a, a sort of a misreading or perhaps an underreading. Um, to say that, um, to say that that sort of uh, exhausts the sentiments, uh, the theological sentiments that are sort of communicated by the book, um, because I think as we get into the book more, that providence is almost forgotten. Really, at least that's my reading. It's almost forgotten about, and certainly the characters don't really mention it, don't talk about it, especially after Gandalf. Uh, you know, hashtag dies. <laughs> um, you know, uh, once he's gone, you know, Aragorn's first response is, you know, we may yet be event, we may yet avenge him. Like he, he gives this sort of pagan speech about, you know, how he's going to avenge Aragorn, uh, Gandalf's death. And then, you know, and, and then we come to Lothlorien. There's, yeah, that, the, the whole tone of the book kind of shifts as far as I'm concerned. And, um, even the even at the end when you know Gollum falls off apparently by chance and you know people say well that's God stepping in immediately you know and sh- shoving Gollum off the off the, off the cliff and I just want to say well why couldn't God just do that earlier but um, <laughs> but, but yeah but the point is I think I think if you read it that way the book loses something like it's it's something in it's not God coming in and and, and um, pushing Gollum off in that sort of direct literal way it, it's something in Gollum's character that you know that his greed for the ring he's sort of you know he's um he finally has it has it back and sort of has a chance fall I think that's a much more powerful finale you know than, than sort of a providential one. Mm-hmm. and um yeah so I think as in a lot of Tolkien's writings I, I think there's a kind of um subtle um I don't want to say clash but there's a subtle um you know uncertainty as to the nature of fate and Providence, and certainly some characters and seem to believe in it. Like Gandalf, perhaps is the most sort of orthodox character in that sense, and Elrond to an extent. But other characters never. I mean, Frodo and Sam don't really, especially Frodo, does not have that sense of providential authority. He he feels like he's alone most of the time. <laughs> um, so I think I, I think you know, despite what Gandalf says, you know, he says. He says, you know, uh, you were meant to have the ring. And Frodo's response is, well, you know, he says that may be an encouraging thought. And the film, the the, the dialogue ends there, but in the book, Frodo says, well, it's not <laughs> very bluntly an encouraging thought. So there's a slightly different tenor to the to the conversation in the book. It's not Gandalf giving advice; it's Frodo being kind of annoyed and saying, you know, no, no, this, I don't want this to happen to me, you know. Um, and, and whether or not it's, you know, if it's providential, well, that, that's not actually all that encouraging to me, you know. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> that means you really can't get out of it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. 
Exactly. Yeah, that's right. Uh, I'll end my rant there, but but the point is, um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know what the point is that I was trying to make, but I suppose it's that, um, you know, I, I think it's a little simplistic to just focus on this one element and then extrapolate that to every instance of, of uh, chance or luck that occurs and say, well, you know, this is how God is working through the characters. Um, certainly that's a plausible reading, but I think it's, Possibly not a very interesting one, really. Um, yeah, that's my point of view. Yeah, no, I, I, I totally, I totally agree. I, I, you know, just re- really quickly, I wonder if there's just some, yeah, yeah. some, some, some reason why it, it seems like people are hesitant to, to take Tolkien at his word. You know, he, he says he's writing a novel, and I think even somewhere he explicitly says that this is not meant to be an allegory, even though. There may be sort of mm. allegorical facets to it. Um, I, yeah, I don't yeah. know where I, I have in my memory that he that there's somewhere where he he sort of like rejects yeah, this the, allegorical reading and it's in the forward, yeah, the, the forward, okay. <laughs> the forward, for, yeah, to the second edition, which is now the standard edition, yeah. Okay. So mm. yeah, and 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 yet it seems it seems like um, it, it seems like uh, there, mm. there's a sort of great hesitancy to just to read him as a novelist. Yeah, yeah with, I think with all the ambiguities that that entails. Exactly. Yeah, I think this is. Yeah, I think that you've hit the nail on the head there again. Um, yeah, I think that for me is my biggest frustration with a lot of these readings. It's it's trying to make Tolkien say something very singular and very like that. Obviously, you know, I get, I get it. Christian readers, for example, would want Tolkien to say Christian things. And I, th- I think for a lot of people, there's a sort of element of consolation in that like the lord of the rings is a conciliatory book um for people and i think that that that's part of that's related to this sense that it's that it, that it really is evoking a sense of nostalgia right because there's an element in nostalgia that is conciliatory um and that you know uh there's a sort of a there are different components in the emotion there's a kind of sadness but there's also a kind of sense of conciliation um there somehow and i think people relate that to their religious faith and, you know, I don't, I don't want to say, again, I don't want to say that that's wrong. Um, but uh, for those of us who aren't religious, I just want to say there is also a space for different kinds of readings. And that perhaps perhaps as a novelist, yeah, at least, you know, um, and, and not only as sort of a world builder or as a kind of, <laughs> you know, as kind of theologian or something, you know, he has a more ambiguous um, perspective on some things, yeah. Or at least the book does. You know, we don't even have to say, we don't even have to talk about the author. We can say the book. The book has yeah. has a more ambiguous perspective on, on on many of these issues. Yeah. You know, it's really interesting to to hear you say to to hear you like the way you said that just made me realize that um, the sort of non Christian sort of humanistic, if you will, reading of of the Lord of the Rings. Um, you sort of mean that to be an alternative reading. Am I getting that correctly? Um, yeah, well, I, I think I think I feel like that because I feel like, as I said before, I feel like there is a kind of ownership that's claimed of Tolkien by a lot of Christian yeah. people, which, which again is fine. But it's like what what rankles me a little bit is is the sense of ownership that's had with him. It's like, well, he was a Christian, so we own him. We own we own the interpretations. That's interesting. That's yeah. that's interesting to hear. Um, you know, because like for me, I, I've always read him. Um, I've always read him as as just a a humanist, and um, to to to, right. to to me, like my main reading has always been the the sort of yeah. the, the the sort of nat- natural like literary not novelistic reading of it. Um, so I, I was sort of assuming that the 
the people who who sort of go on about his um, Christianity and the Christian allegories. I, I actually always have associated that with with the, the title of alternate readings, but um, I'm not steeped in the scholarship at all. So you know, um, I, I, yeah. Well, perhaps I might be wrong. I might be like over over overselling the point a bit. Um, but certainly, I think at least in that public facing scholarship. Not 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 in the really great scholarship I think that's published in journals. I'm sorry, I'm being a bit of an academic um, fetishist <laughs> there, but um, but that's just how it is. Like a lot of the best scholarship is published in journals and, and books. But in the in the side of Tolkien studies as a discipline, if you would call it that, that is public facing, it's very much even if it's not explicitly, it's very much implicitly kind of Christian, and I, I think that just um, annoys me a bit because. There's either explicit, implicitly or sometimes explicitly very little room for other kinds of, uh, very little, yeah, even, I don't know, yeah, just, there's very little room, I, I guess, yeah, for, for other kinds of uh, thinking about it. And anyway, that's just sure, a, yeah, sure. again, bear of mine. But <laughs> no, I think that's a really good point, you know. Um, so one, one point of this podcast, again, is to, uh, you know, is to try and think about some of those other ways of reading Tolkien that aren't simply, well, Tolkien was a Catholic, therefore, you know. And, <laughs> and also because so many so many of the podcasts come from that perspective too. Um, mm. And I just want to provide a different perspective. Um, Love it. You know, there are, not, there are people who are not Christian who read Tolkien. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this needs to be said, I think, I, I think sometimes. Um, because people seem to think that, at least some people seem to think that they have a monopoly on, yeah, on on, on, his, on his work. But I think that is not the case. <laughs> I think I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It it, it kind of gets to to the heart of uh, of a sort of problem in in the in the sort of culture war space, which is always a little bit annoying. Um, where where <laughs> yeah. where yeah. one side sort of says like, oh, you know, this is just a sort of uh, you know, white colonial Christian work or whatever. I don't know. And 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 then the but then on the other side, the, the defenders sort of try to try to say um, that there is some sort of Christian moralistic um, virtue to this thing. And I think both sides get it get it wrong, and they, and they do it, uh, the whole thing a disservice. It, it is it is um, it, you know I, I think it's it's best treated as a as a novel. And and like yeah, I, you know I I can't say it any better than you than you did. You know there are people who uh, who aren't Christian who read the Lord of the Rings too, you know, and and uh, and, yeah, and yeah. we deserve a podcast. <laughs> well, we do. So far. I don't know. Any others? Yeah, this is the only one. So, <laughs> um, so yeah, no, absolutely. So I think you know we've been talking for two hours, um, which has been great. Um, yeah. So I think we'll wrap it up. I think that gives a taste of sort of. Um, the sorts of things we want to talk about. And as I say, we'll obviously go into more depth on many of these topics um, in the future. Um, and, you know, again, I want to reiterate that this is not going to be a film bashing podcast. <laughs> Hopefully I don't, I don't want to bash too many people, but, but I also do want to have a space to criticize things that I don't agree with. So um, I think that's important to um, think about. As well, so you know, if people don't like, if people want a podcast that just makes them feel really good, I, I, like like validated constantly. I, I, I don't know, maybe that's not this one. I don't know, <laughs> <laughs> I, I, but um, but but uh, you know, 
having said that, yeah, of course, I want to I want to um, interview different sorts of people and different perspectives and, and allow you know a variety of perspectives. Hopefully, as time goes on, um, to have you know in both interviews and in other you know in, in our other discussions. So, um, yeah, hopefully that's not too negative, and hopefully it's interesting and food for thought. Um, so I guess were there any final thoughts you had that you might want to might want to uh, note before we before I leave you for the night and I have a late lunch? <laughs> um, not really. Not no. I mean, thanks for for having me. You know, it was it's, it's always a pleasure to to talk about. Um, Lord of the Rings. I, I, yeah. I can't remember if I've ever sat down and talked about Token for for two hours. So this is a, a real treat. And uh, <laughs> awesome. Yeah. Expecting on. Of course. And uh, yeah, that's awesome. So um, yeah. All right. Well, we'll leave it there. And as I say, uh, a lot of those topics, uh, you know, are, are worthy of discussing again and again. Um, so hopefully, uh, as I said, I will have a couple of new pod, new episodes out. Um, if they're not out by the time that this comes out, they'll be out very soon, interview sort of episodes and things. And um, I don't know what the discussion will be for next time, but uh, I'm sure it'll be interesting. <laughs> so thank you very much. And, um, yeah, we'll, 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 chat, we'll chat later and uh, have a good, have a good, uh, a good week. Um, and, you know, whoever's listening, I hope you have a good week as well. <laughs> Take it easy, guys. <laughs>